Hi, I am Jennifer Purcell, and welcome to my podcast, Living with an Invisible Learning Challenge, where we will discuss, discover, and learn more about the challenges and triumphs of those with NLD and other learning challenges. I do have a website for this podcast, and it is called livingwithnld.com. I also have a Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter account for the podcast. They are all under the same name, which is Living with NLD. I also have a YouTube channel for the podcast, which can be found by Googling the title of the podcast, which is Living with an Invisible Learning Challenge. I would like to tell you about a nonprofit that I use for my research for this podcast. It is called the NBLD Project, and I use their blog for my research. They are a nonprofit that is based in New York and is trying to get NVLD back on the DSM, and they provide many resources for people with NVLD on their website. I'll provide you with the website for them in the podcast description. All proceeds from the ads on this podcast will be donated towards the NVLD project. Please feel free to explore the other topics on the podcast, and hopefully you will learn something new from them. I hope you enjoyed today's episodes. Also, I have podcast swag on Markful. I believe that's the name of the website I'm using now. I also have it on Redbubble. I'll give you the links in the description for this podcast episode, and you can take a look. Both websites have different prices and they have some discounts going on also. And um, one has t-shirts and some apparel that you can buy and some drinkware. So see which one you would like better. I hope you enjoy the interview that I am posting today. It is with a special ed teacher, Amy Uh and she is from Portland. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, my voice is a little scratchy right now. And uh, I had a really fun time doing it with her. Her name is Amy Frizzies Johnson. And I was doing it to ask her again about the um, difference with teaching during and before the pandemic and after I was doing that series for a while. I started it last year and I haven't posted all the interviews yet. So here's another one from that series. I hope you enjoy it. This meeting is being recorded. All right, so I'm here today with Amy Frazier, I think. Oh, you Johnson, Frazier. yeah. Okay, Johnson. <laughs> and I will have her start on introducing herself. All right. Um, I, my name's Amy. My students call me Miss FJ because my last name is hard. Um, I'm a special education teacher in Oregon. I, um, I teach kindergarten through fifth grade right now, but I have taught kindergarten through eighth grade is the highest I've taught. Um, and I'm, I've been at the school where I am now since the fall of 2019, but I've been teaching. This is my 23rd year teaching. Wow, that's a lot of experience. Yeah. Um, so Amy, in your 
years of experience, what kind of uh, learning challenges have you experienced with your students? Well, I've always been a special education teacher. So I've worked with a variety of students that qualify for special education. Um, sometimes that means that they have a specific learning disability that impacts their reading ability. Often I have students that have more than one thing that's really kind of an obstacle in their, their path to, to learning and to education and just, you know, growing up. Um, so I, I, I help kids who experience um, attention differences. Um, I have worked with a lot of kids that are neurodiverse. Um, I've had students who are blind and hard of hearing. Um, I've, I've helped students who use wheelchairs. Um, gosh, a lot of things. But my most typical students are kids that have some behavior regulation stuff that they're still trying to figure out and still learning about. Um, and then academics, academics and some behavior stuff is kind of my, my daily, my daily uh, diet. <laughs> That's a wide range. It reminds me of the work I used to do before with the job I have now. Uh, I used to work with uh, kids on the spectrum and ADHD kids. And I also was helping, I had a client who had um, cerebral palsy as well. Mm -hmm. So yep. I have a little bit of experience with that. Um, yeah. I think the youngest I had was, I think she was barely one month, or one, one year old, uh, yeah. which was a little trippy. Um, and the oldest I think was uh, so big range too. <laughs> um, yeah. I've, yeah, I've had students who have cerebral palsy. I've had uh, I, I get to work with a team. So I have, mm -hmm. you know, that come in and help me like physical therapists. If, if there are physical, if there's like accessibility to the bathroom issues, somebody else helps me figure that out. So I have a, a team to bounce ideas off of. That's, that's good. Um, are there certain subjects that you uh, help your students with? Almost everybody gets help with reading. Not everybody, mm -hmm. but almost everybody. Um, I do reading, I do written language, I do mathematics, and then I have different groups for um, social skills and, um, and some executive functioning regulation. Um, gosh, sometimes we just have some appropriate play groups if the kids are younger. Mm -hmm. um, right now, right, well, I should say that the past couple years, I've been working with mostly third, fourth, and fifth graders. So there's still been some, some play group with that, but it's more like a, a social time mm -hmm. um, and just working with kids making those, um, those choices in the moment when they're learning about social interaction. But so usually at least half my day is teaching reading and writing. Um, and then the other half is doing a lot of social skills and math. Mm. And then I help kids also with things that they have. All of my students are placed in a general ed classroom and then they come to me or I go into them um, to help. Or sometimes I'm just a consult to the teacher if it's something that is, they're kind of working their way toward more of a general ed career. Um, but, uh, Usually I see all of my students each day of the week um, for at least something. <laughs> yeah, that, that, 
that seems like you help in a lot of different areas. Um, are there, one of the other questions I was thinking about is, um, I know sometimes even though a student is neurodiverse, they tend to excel in one area that, um, you know, is different from the one that have challenges. Do you have that experience as well? Well, sure, yeah. I mean, sometimes, the, like I can think of just a couple of students that I've been working with for the past few years where they might, like, they might have just beautiful handwriting and gorgeous storytelling skills. Um, although like, or, and then when they get to talking to somebody in person, it might not be expressed as clearly. So something like that. Um, I had a student who was on the spectrum and had a lot of obstacles when it got to like, social stuff, but he was an incredible artist, just incredibly gifted and had this eye for style and color that was just really unique and, and very um, interesting. So, mm -hmm. you know, sometimes that would bring people into his world. And, um, and then other kids who are just like super science-minded, so <laughs> many kids that are super science-minded, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. Um, I, I, I know for myself, um, I, I duty my assurance with you that I have NLD, and um, for me, I was never good at math until I got mm -hmm. a lot of tutoring with it. And um, but I always excelled at science and um, history, and um, I got better at writing when I had help with that as well because it was. It, it was hard for me to, when I was growing up, it was hard to even pull a paragraph out of me. Sure. And that's, that's more common than having that kind of, that being your thing to go to for, for every student. Honestly, writing is, is really hard in elementary school, especially. Cool for me. Um, so it, let's see what was um, What do you like best? at least about your teaching since you've had so many years. I mean, the best thing is always my relationship with students. Um, and, you know, I'm very lucky. One of the things I really like about my job is that because I am a resource teacher and so I'm not their classroom teacher, sometimes I get to see kids all the way from kindergarten through fifth grade. And wow. so I've had kids, I've had the longest student I ever had was probably six years. Mm -hmm maybe seven years, actually, I think um, I've had kids for seven years because maybe they'll have repeated a grade or something. Yeah. Um, I've never had a kid from like their whole K through eight, but, mm -hmm. uh, but I love watching them grow up. And um, I love talking with kids and seeing how they think about things and trying to adjust my teaching style to a way that will be really digestible for them. The thing I, I like the least is definitely the paperwork. Mm. I think every special ed teacher probably has the same answer for that it sucks time it takes us away from being able to do the planning that we want to do uh it's stressful it's the thing that will ultimately you know make me throw my hands up and just like be like i need a summer break <laughs> <laughs> i can understand that i don't like paperwork either um yeah it must be really uh cool and uh, make you appreciate your work to be able to see that one of your students or many of your students progress for many years 
Oh yeah, especially when, especially when there's like a student who hasn't been able to like really break that social code and mm -hmm. all of a sudden they start like having friends. That's right. the best. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think it's good that you work on social things too because I know I used to struggle a lot in that area too. Um, still a little bit, but not as much as I used to. And I think that's very important for this to be a little bit of um, So during the pandemic, what kind of changed for you with your teaching? You know, how did it get harder? Right, so um, we, in where we were, um, it was March of 2020 was when we, they, my district said, okay, we're going to go on spring break. Um, and we're going to add an extra week to spring break. They, they okay. genuinely thought that it was just going to be an extra week of spring break. And then we'd all come back, you know, mm -hmm. um, we didn't, <laughs> we, we had two weeks of spring break and then they said, we're going to go online. And there was no preparation for that. Teachers scrambled and we tried to set up a platform and we had kind of, you know, like check-ins with our class. Um, there were assignments given, but mostly from my perspective, what I remember is um, I specialists functioned more like social workers for a few months. Mm -hmm. And we got kids food, like our school is a community where kids get food at school. So we were delivering boxes, um, we were connecting students, families to resources to pay their electric bill, things like that, just for the first three months of COVID. And then we went on summer. And then over the summer, the district made much more of a plan for online learning. And then we really had, we, they called it comprehensive distance learning is what, okay. and so CDL in our district. And then that was like really intensive school days online. Um, I would do push in, if you will, like I would go into a gen ed classrooms, zoom meeting or Google meet and, um, and be a part of that community during the lesson. And then I had double duty. Cause then I would immediately take students into another small group, Google meet and give them their service time that way. And so sometimes it was, I, I needed to be in the zoom meeting or the Google meets meeting with the gen ed classroom, just to know what they were even talking about. Mm -hmm. And then I would tailor my services at that time to really getting them to just access school online as much as they could. Mm -hmm. And sometimes actually some of those groups ended up, um, being social skills groups, which was connecting kids that wouldn't have otherwise known each other wow. online. And that some of those turned out really well. Some of it was very hard for sure. Um, the biggest challenge for me was probably that I also had my own two children at home doing online school simultaneously. And so we had to kind of split around the house so we wouldn't mm -hmm. hear each other. Um, and then also I couldn't help them as much as I would have liked to for their online school community or uh, mm -hmm. experience. What ages are your children? They're now, my daughter is now 15 and my son is 13. So when we started this, my son was still in fifth grade, I think, and now he's going into eighth grade. So, yeah. Oh, and then I should say we did go to hybrid, mm -hmm. um, maybe halfway through the school year where we did the mornings online and then afternoons in the, in the building with a limited population. And it kind of was, there were cohorts. So only mm -hmm. kids were only exposed to certain people throughout their school time. 
Um, that worked okay for a lot of my students. They liked coming in later for sure. And like, you know, having the morning online and then in person in the afternoon. Mm -hmm. um, but we didn't, we didn't catch everybody was the problem is there were so many mm -hmm. kids who just, they couldn't come in because of health concerns or their families were concerned um, or they just didn't really access school for, it was the, it was, for some kids, it was like a year off of school. Yeah. I remember hearing that news. Um, so how does that kind of compare to now, you know, after the pandemic kind of ending, what's changed? Yeah, well, one of the, the challenges is that we came back and we knew that there were going to be challenges, but we also were kind of like, we're doing it like we used mm -hmm. to. Um, school is the, the old style, right? And um, And we still had some kids who were very anxious about COVID, about getting sick. Um, and then we, we were still masking and social distancing and those rules changed throughout the year. Mm -hmm. But I think, I think there were two just almost disabling factors last year for teachers. And one was we kept getting sick. Mm -hmm. And so we were out. And then there was like, I got COVID one time in February of this year. Mm -hmm. And so I had to be out for a week and then there, there were no subs. There's a, a, just a drastic sub shortage. So people, whenever people were out, when I was out, when my coworkers were out, we were all just scrambling, covering each other, trying to make sure that kids got what they needed, that they were safe. Um, but school was not the same. It was not as organized. It was not as well-staffed. Um, it was really hard. Uh, and then the second piece, because I said there were two things, is kids came back um, really different. Like they had had a year away from being socially exposed and kind of sticking at home. And I feel like there was a real drop in empathy in our school population. There was like kids just were bristly with each other, like really not ready to be in the space with other kids. They were more likely to just bicker, you know, not like full on fighting, but just really grumpy about having to do work. Um, just really, I don't know, just more, I guess, focused on survival maybe um, than learning. And so that impacted a lot of our community with like interactions, social interactions got a lot more challenging. Um, and so the students that I work with ended up feeling, I think more marginalized because kids weren't as welcoming and empathetic about, you know, like everybody's different and it was more like take care of yourself, which was hard. Yeah, that makes sense to me. Um, kind of made me think of um, for my current job where I work, I work for a spiritual community and we have a preschool there. And uh, we've had challenges with uh, being able to find teachers for our classrooms because of, you know, the pandemic. And um, I remember during the pandemic, uh, we didn't have preschool for maybe almost for a year. I think it was at least half a year. Um, and uh, we, we kept on our director and our two teachers that we had then. And then um, in the early part of the pandemic when we were back with preschool, we had, we lost one of those two, two teachers because she wanted to go back to school. Um, and then we 
uh, still had our director and one teacher. Um, yeah. And then earlier this year, we just got another uh, teacher. So we had two teachers, but then she, unfortunately, she was able to, she was all, she was trying to find a home for Lindsay. And um, she did find a house, but in Temecula, which is mm. kind of far from San Diego. Sure. So uh, now we're back to one teacher, one director. So it's surreal. We're about to start our school year. The students start um, the day after Labor Day, so September 6th, mm -hmm. I think it is. Um, and the, we are still hiring, we're still trying to find positions to fill positions in our building and usually we don't wait this long it's really hard yeah it is challenging and i don't know if you experienced this but one thing we experienced during the pandemic was when we were looking for um, teachers we found out that some people would uh say that they're going to attend an interview just to get unemployment still and they wouldn't show up for the interview oh yeah we there there has been an unusual thing here where somebody will kind of say I want to accept the job but I'm also being I'm also considering this other job, and we really need people to just be like yes or no so we can either move on or start working together. Yeah, yeah, that that would make it be difficult. Um, so one question I kind of was curious about was for your, you know during the pandemic, uh, since you do have a, you do sometimes go into the general ed classes, um, do you think it was harder for the special ed or the uh, general ed students? Hmm. I don't know that I could say it was harder for either population. I think mm -hmm. that, I think it was hard for everybody in their own way. And sometimes yeah. like in, in the school where I work, um, there are a lot of families who experience um, houselessness. They might be families that move from like, you know, kind of couch surfing from house to house for a while. Um, it was really hard for kids in that population because um, they didn't always, I mean, we provided technology so they could connect mm -hmm. to us. Um, and we tried to, as a district, they would go drive a school bus around, and I don't know the technology here, so you'll have to forgive me, but with some sort of a hotspot for, for um, internet access. Yeah. If kids couldn't get it through their home, then they would try to like set up hotspots around the area so kids could still access school, but it was hard. Um, I, I mean, I tend to, I tend, my heart tends to go to the community that I work with. And so I think I saw a lot of the things that were hard about it for kids that had, you know, um, some sort of a difference, mm -hmm. but I don't know. I think, I think it's been hard on everybody, honestly. Yeah, I would agree with you. I think it's different for everybody. Um, I were answering this one a little bit already, but it seemed like you were able to provide some of the hands-on support to your students during the pandemic. Yeah, I did a lot of driving to kids' houses to drop off materials and then kind of ringing the doorbell and standing way back when we were still really distanced and then kind of talking to them from a distance and saying, those are your materials for this, this, and this. And then I would have, you know, an example where I would say, okay, get out your book that looks like this online and hold it up so that they could look through their things. I didn't get a lot of my materials back, which was a big 
like financial loss for my room. But, um, but in the meantime, kids had what they needed. Um, yeah, I got really good at, at dropping things off at kids' houses for them. <laughs> but I think, I mean, like the day-to-day check-ins when, when it was first, when we were first online, after we had that two weeks off and we came back online, I had students who were worried. They were just worried that the whole world had gotten COVID and nobody was coming back. Like it was, you know, kid mentality is just different. And so they just wanted to see that I was alive and okay, you know? And so for a while that was like, that was the reassuring part, I think for them that we yeah, would get through it. Um, so one question that, um, I'm sure is that you probably experienced a little bit in your school. Um, uh, I was wondering how you deal with, um, bullying when it comes up. Yeah. I mean, we try to have a very empathetic, we have fantastic adults in my school and we have a real empathetic community. And normally like before COVID, you know, that trickles down to the kids have a lot of empathy for each other too. And so you can have real good conversations with kids that are heart-based about why we're all in a community together and why everybody's, you know, an equal part of that. Um, I think we still do that. And um, when things that are bullying or maybe not, uh, not full bullying, but something that's just a really just not equal kind of relationship that's happening, or there's picking on or, you know, anybody's giving anybody like um, being cruel to them or anything. Um, we do a lot of trying to repair those, those relationships and, and also talk with students about, you know, like, it's okay for you to just walk away from that too. You don't have to be, you don't, if the other person is not being kind, you don't have to bring your A game of kindness. You can walk away and get help. You can, you know, seek a lot of times there's students have like one or two adults that are their people that they really trust in the building. And so they, they'll go to those people. And like, so I have kids come to me and, you know, in great frustration, usually that requires some time to calm down and kind of get their feet back under them and then see it what's happening and talk it through. And then we make a plan. I mean, I've had kids sign contracts with me about like the kind of language they're going to use with each other and things like that. And we do lessons on that, but for the most part, kids just kind of get on each other's nerves and it's not like a a bullying situation. And in those situations we can do, you know, like a structured play group and and kind of with me modeling how to interact, Um, especially if they're, they're like really good friends, but they're kind of they also drive each other crazy, which is tends to be most of the kids that I have have somebody like that, it seems like. Yeah, that makes sense to me. Um, so uh, let's see. Um, what do you think um, would have made it easier for um, for neurotypical uh, to understand, um, you know, for special ed students? Uh, come from and being able to try to, um, you know, try to understand how both of them have something that makes them unique and being able to, you know, try to uh, empathize with them. I mean, I think celebrating kids' strengths, you know, really obviously celebrating what they're good at um, is, is a place to start. Sometimes kids are surprised that the quiet kid who is usually kind of in his own space and kind of doing his own thinking 
might be like really gifted in something that they're really mm -hmm. struggling at. And they're like, mm -hmm. oh my gosh, like that just changed my whole perspective of that that student. Yeah. A lot of times what surprises them is when the kid who they think maybe isn't isn't like them at all starts talking about Minecraft or something that they love. Mm -hmm. And so if you can find common ground, I just I remember, you know, some of the gen ed students going, oh he likes Minecraft. And then I'll be like, tell me about Minecraft and they like forge a friendship over you know, that, or, um, you know, just games that they want to play on the playground sometimes, uh, you know, yeah. it's kind of that, the times that are purely social are, are both like challenging, but also can be rich with like those connection times. Mm -hmm. Like if, if somebody wants to talk about dinosaurs and they find their little tribe who wants to talk about dinosaurs, they're golden. Um, <laughs> and a lot of times that happens that starts in the classroom and makes its way outside, which is fun. Yeah, that's good. Um, so, uh, what do you wish your um, special ed uh, students would know more about um, the neurotypical ones that they interact with? <sighs> um, go the other way. I think I wish that my students who who experience like a rigidity. Mm -hmm. uh, would see would could understand that they don't have to be as good at everything as everybody else they're going to have their own areas that they do well and there are going to be things that are hard for them and i wish that they could see that other kids also have things that are hard for them because i think that's hard i think they see like kids who are excelling say in reading like they just kind of assume they're good at everything um where like we all have ups and downs and um, the sooner kids see like, okay, I don't have to compete with that person. I'm just trying to be the best version of me. That's the, that's the best. Yeah. And I think that goes both ways, right? Mm -hmm. Everybody. <laughs> right. Yeah. I agree with you on that. I, I, uh, I know when I'm comparing myself to my older brother, my older neurotypical brother and you know, I do that. I used to do that a lot when I was little and see, oh, he's excelling in math and I'm not, you know, like mm -hmm. saying, and then realizing, oh, wait a second, he does have down in other areas of the math and I just don't see them, you know. And those people can be somebody that's a support to you, right? Like mm -hmm. if you see, instead of competition, if you see like, oh, this is a person I could go to for some advice or to ask some help, you know, then that's right. great too. Yeah. yeah, that's that's very true. I, when I was in college, I definitely went to my brother for help because we both went to the same college at different times, but he could help me because he knew what yeah. the academic level was like. Um, so um, when you're in your classroom with your students, or uh, in different classrooms as well, what kind of environment do you usually try to have for your uh, students? I mean, my goal is always that kids feel like they their dignity is intact and that it's a safe space to try something hard. Mm -hmm. So my goal for my room is that it's a calm place, it's a friendly place, and it's a safe place. And so kids can come in here, even if it's kids that, you know, the only thing that they're really struggling with is decoding reading. Mm -hmm. I want them to be able to in here and think like this is the thing that's been so hard for me and in this space I'm okay it's okay to try 
It's okay mm -hmm. if I make mistakes in here. It's okay. You know, no one's going to ridicule me. I don't need to ridicule myself. This is a space where I'm learning how to do that and that's okay. So I, I mean, I try to keep the room environment very calm because of that. Mm -hmm. um, but I also, I'm ridiculously enthusiastic too. So like kids know they can count on me to be their cheerleader if they need it. So <laughs> yeah. when you were describing that, that reminds me of my mom because uh, she kind of, my relationship with her is interesting where she's not only my mom, but she's also my boss at work because I, oh, yeah. I work for her. So, but for me, that, that is actually good for me because you know, she knows so much about my learning challenge and what makes me neurodiverse. She's able to help me learn from my mistakes and um, being able to give me the feedback that I need. And oh, I'm sure you know, that's helpful, right? She knows you almost as well as you yeah. know yourself. <laughs> and sometimes even better, <laughs> of course, yeah. And many times she said to me, you know, Jennifer, you don't have to worry about me letting you go or firing. I'm not going to do that because you're my daughter and I want you to learn from your mistakes. So, you know, similar environments where you have for your students of being able to, you know, feel safe or messing up and try to improve on that. Yeah, it's safe to fall down. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you need that. Um, have you had any previous special ed students that, did better than you thought they would in their education career? I mean, I always think my kids are going to shoot for the stars. So mm -hmm. um, I, I have had some kids that surprise me in mm -hmm. like the path that they choose um, and the kind of the, the, and, you know, I'll think kids are like somebody who's like super science minded and I'll think, oh, well, he's going to definitely go into this kind of work and then we'll end up, you know, doing a, a writing job or something that I didn't expect, something totally different. Um, yeah. I, and then sometimes like the, as kids are little, when they're like in kindergarten or first grade, I have an idea of them. And then by the time they get to fifth grade, they're in like a different, like they're just so cool or you know, like funny or some kids get genuinely funny, which is always a delight. But um, <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, sometimes they still surprise me for sure. Um, the, yeah. the thing that surprises me the most is sometimes like the things that come out of their mouth though. Like, oh, you went that way. <laughs> okay. I didn't expect that. <laughs> yeah. I can imagine that. Um, do you ever like kind of meet up with your students that you had in the past to see how they're doing now? I, I mean, like at school things, mm -hmm. yes, I don't socially, I, there's, there's a lot of um, guidance for teachers to, you know, right. not engage too socially with students and, um, but I, I'll keep in touch with their parents sometimes, mm -hmm. sometimes a lot of parents that, um, that, you know, their kid was really successful with me in elementary school, and then they're maybe in high school and the parents will seek me out for some advice, like, here's mm -hmm. what's going on. Um, do you have advice for how to approach it? And by the way, my advice is always be collaborative, stick your ground, but I'll also be friendly about it. <laughs> As I think parents think they have to have the hard, you know, sometimes if they want to get something that they're not getting, they have to be like really firm about it. And you can do that. You can be really firm, but you can still be respectful. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so you were going to the parents. I was wondering kind of how 
they try to help their kids during the pandemic with, um, with you know, the challenges they were having. Yeah, well, it was varied for sure, because some of the parents that my students, you know, are at home with were essential workers, and so they were not home, they had to go to work. Some of them are in, you know, medical fields, and so they were, you know, doing the whole uh, kind of dress down in the hallway outside before they came in, and so they wouldn't, because people were so cautious in the early days about, you know, even your clothing. Um, and then other kids, you know, really thrived because their parents were there encouraging them and making sure that they did their assignments on time. Some of that, like that could go either way though, because some kids that was really great for them and they learned a ton and they got school routines and it was great. And then other kids were just kind of like, just do it for me. And so we've seen plenty of that where parents had a heavy hand in their work and maybe the kids looked like they were learning more than they actually were. And so coming back, to school was a little bit of a rough awakening when you don't have mom and dad to help you <laughs> do your work. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I remember that. Um, I remember when I jumped from high school where I had, a, you know, access to tutors for every subject that needed. And then I went to UC Berkeley for college and that went away. And I was like, oh, you know, like, you know, oh crap but like how do I access the help I need because I wasn't used to seeking it my parents didn't you know seek it for me um but basically I was like okay well I know I struggle in math so I'm gonna go to the degree center for that and I did that and I got the help I needed um and then I didn't I wasn't diagnosed until college with MLD so I didn't know I had that um so then once I got that diagnosis, um, I got my accommodations for that and that made it a lot easier as well yeah. in my last two years. It's interesting. And I, I think that's probably more common for women than for men to have that experience, honestly, because I think boys present things a lot more boisterously mm -hmm. and girls are so like, I, I don't, I, I speak for myself and, and my limited experience, but um, I feel like girls are so much more socially minded that like figure it out how to like kind of do it within the social parameters. And then when you're out on your own, it's kind of like, oh, wait, I still need all those supports. <laughs> yeah, that, that makes sense to me, actually. Like, like you were saying, it's probably more obvious with the male, but it might be more reserved with the female and that's so obvious. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so also with the parents, um, I know sometimes, well, they, at least from my experience with parents with specialized kids, sometimes they think they have the right answer and a better answer than their specialized teacher. Have you had that experience before? I mean, yes, it's rare that somebody really bulldozes, you know, mm -hmm. but it does happen. Um, usually if families want something different than what the school is able to offer, um, that becomes a big conversation. Mm -hmm. I personally have never had a situation that got really heated and became like a legal situation, mm -hmm. but it happens and it happens to good teachers. It's not just, you know, it's sometimes it's limited resources for the district and, and we have to work with what we have. Um, sometimes the families want something that's not best that we don't feel is the best choice for the child and they do, mm -hmm. um, you know, so sometimes those things happen, but mostly 
mostly parents are awesome and they want their kids to survive and and thrive and and that's what we want too and so um if they feel like we're on the same page with them i think they're more likely to give us a chance to try our thing <laughs> oh, that's good um, i really like my students and i think that comes across to parents like i really enjoy them and i've never had a student i just didn't vibe with and so um, it's you know i I think parents know that. And I think kids talk about me at home mm -hmm. and like the things we did. And so they see that we're, we're working and that the kids are excited about it. So they like that. That's good. Yeah. It probably makes it easier for the parents to be involved in their child talk at home about school. Yeah, I know. And especially because like once they start getting older, they don't talk about much at school. So mm -hmm. <laughs> how's yeah. your day fun? <laughs> um, that was pretty much it for the questions, unless you have any that you wanted to add. No, I think it's great. I do think it's an exceptional time in, in ed education, but in the world, you know, um, I, I, you know, we, we're going back into this school year, like, okay, back at it. Um, and I don't know, I feel like we're not really out of like that kind of hangover that's going to happen. Mm -hmm. I don't know how long that's going to last, but um you know, the kiddos that are coming into, well, I have a, a student who's coming into second grade mm -hmm. who has never been in person because he's, he stayed online. So oh, wow. his first experience in, in Gen or I mean, in the school community because mm -hmm. his whole experience was all online. So that I don't know. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. He's nervous, but yeah. we've got him. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I wouldn't have thought that that would have happened, but of course it would have happened, could it happen if they would choose to stay online, right? Yeah, well, and another interesting thing that we didn't expect was mm -hmm. um, you know, every year districts give statewide testing, states give statewide testing. Right. And so last year was the first year we gave it because when we were online, we didn't do it. And then when we went to COVID the first time we didn't do it. So usually kids start state testing in Oregon in third grade, mm -hmm. and then they get they get a little more testing in fourth grade and a little bit more in fifth grade. And then they go into middle school with the, that schedule. But last year was the first year that our third graders, fourth graders, and fifth graders did state testing. So everybody was brand new to it. Nobody had any experience with it. It was challenging. It took a long time, <laughs> but I'd much rather do our day-to-day -day stuff than that for sure. Yeah. I don't like doing, I didn't like doing state testing either. I remember yeah. when I was in my last year of doing that in high school. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> for real. Um, yeah. Thank you for letting me interview you. It was a yeah. joy. Great. Thank you. <laughs> um, yeah. Thank you. I hope you have a good rest of your day. Great. Thank you. And keep me posted. Email me or something when you have things evolving. So one of my sponsors for this podcast is called Patreon, and that is a site where you can go on and donate money to creators who you would like to support. And I have three different tiers that you can do for my podcast, Living with Invisible Learning Challenge. You can donate $2 to access um, content with no ads. Or you can um, do $5 if that's your desired amount. You can also do $1 if you can only do that. 
Um, that's also very appreciative. And if you want to, you can do $10 and then you can get no ads for that episode. And I also have some episodes where I have transcripts for them now. And when I say transcript, I mean, I've been able to try to type out the words to some of the episodes and I'm still working on developing that. I have a program that I can only do like one episode each month, depending on how long that episode is. So, um, I'm trying to use that program rather than typing it out myself because I'm not very fast at typing. Um, and with my migraine condition, sometimes I'm in too much pain to do much. So, um, I use that program and please go onto Patreon and I will give you the link in the podcast description. Like I usually do with most links. Um, otherwise it's patreon.com slash living with an invisible learning challenge spaces. And I hope that you will feel called to donate to that. Thank you. And today I am very excited to announce that BetterHelp is now sponsoring this podcast. I have had seven years of therapy, so I know it can help change your life if you not only let it but work on the personal goals that you set with your therapist. Without a healthy mind, being truly happy and at peace is hard. The good news is therapy works. But what is therapy exactly? It's whatever you want it to be. Maybe you're not feeling motivated right now and would like some tools to help. Or maybe you're feeling insecure in relationships at work not dealing well with stress. Whatever you need, it's time to stop being ashamed of normal human struggles and start feeling better because you deserve to be happy. And now you don't have to worry about finding an in-person therapist near you to help. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist. So you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can start communicating with your therapist in under 48 hours. Join the millions of people who are seeing what online therapy is really about. It's always a good time to invest in yourself because you are the greatest asset. And special offering to listeners of Living with an Invisible Learning Challenge, you can get 10% off your first month of professional therapy at betterhelp.com slash, I'll put in the link in the podcast description for you. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-E-P. Thanks again to BetterHelp for supporting, I mean, sponsoring this podcast. As I wrap up, there are some things I would like to share with you. I do have a website for this podcast. It is called livingwithnld.com. I also have a Facebook and Instagram page for this podcast. It is called Living With NLD. I will include the links for those in the description. 
In conclusion, I would like to hear from my audience. If you know individuals with NLD that I could interview for this podcast, please email me at livingwithnld at gmail.com. What are you interested in learning about NLD? I know I'm not an expert, but I do know I have the living experience of having it. I would like you to practice journaling about your gifts and differences. Also see if there is a way that you can make that difference become easier for you to do than it originally was. Thank you for listening today and please go to my YouTube channel and subscribe to it. Thank you. Bye.